This is The Radical Therapist, a space where we explore the intersections of collaborative therapy, philosophy, art and science and technology in a post-Freud, post-psychology world. Welcome to The Radical Therapist. This is your host, Chris Hoff, and we are now at episode number 79. And today we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be meeting with Nas and Sara from the My Best Friend Therapist podcast. And we're going to be talking about the transition that most of us have been having to make from in-person sessions to teletherapy, telehealth, and what's that's been like um, for these two doctoral students in marriage and family therapy. And so... And I think a lot of the themes will probably resonate with a lot of our listeners who are having to make that transition in educational programs where they're doing practicum and all the challenges they're in. So I think this will be really helpful for both people that maybe are doing supervision and as well as students that are navigating this process as we're moving forward. Before we get there... I have a couple of uh, quick announcements. I, For those that don't know, I, I quit my full-time tenure-track faculty job. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that is because I have now a Patreon page. I would like to start doing more creative things like making videos, uh, etc., having meetups, uh, get-togethers, those kinds of things. So I started a Patreon page. If you go to Patreon, just search The Radical Therapist. If you want to, for the cup, for the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can support my work and get a lot of stuff that isn't going to be made available to the, uh, the I guess, wider public. I'm going to be doing uh, videos, educational stuff um, around, you know, all the topics that we cover here on The Radical Therapist, and uh, also going to be doing some uh, talks with people that I think you'll find really interesting, and then also uh, just I'm planning to do some meetups, maybe talk about some of the shows that we've done here on The Radical Therapist, but have like regular coffee, I guess it's going to be coffee and Zoom at this point kind of thing, so that will all be available on the Patreon page. So go to Patreon at The Radical Therapist for the cup of, price of a cup of coffee. You can support my work, and I would be it would be very much appreciated. So, uh, And also, as always, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, that's how we get out in front of people, and that would be very much appreciated. So let's meet our guests. Uh, okay, Nazneen Nazami uh, is an associate marriage and family therapist practicing in Southern California. Her therapeutic work is grounded in postmodern philosophies, specifically narrative therapy. Her therapeutic approach emphasizes the collaboration between client and therapist. Her work encompasses a non-pathological stance that creates a therapeutic space for clients to share their unique stories and identities. Her previous work includes providing individual and couple fam family therapy for a nonprofit clinic that happens to be the California Family Institute, where I'm at. We have a long history, Naz and I, uh, a K-12 school district and a recovery treatment center. As she approaches her final year in her doctoral program at Lyon International University, she begins a new journey in teaching both at the community college and graduate level. Both her work as a therapist and instructor encompasses an underlying desire and passion to help others and 
Uh, Sara El Shershabi is a second year couples and marriage and family therapy doctoral student. As a therapist, her professional inspiration comes from her unique cultural upbringing and by eth- ethnic. Identity as an American Egyptian woman, being a woman of color, she is passionate about creating space for individuals, couples, and families to explore their experiences within the context of culture and identity. She has worked in a variety of clinical settings, including schools, youth clinics, refugee organizations, juvenile facilities, and advocacy centers. She embodies experiential and modern therapy perspectives as she emphasizes the importance of finding balance between the connect one has with self and the desire for human connection with others. In the upcoming final two years of her doctoral degree, she hopes to expand her growth as a mental health professional through teaching and providing supervision to trainee and students. And both of them are co-hosts of the podcast, the the new new kind of recent podcast, uh, My Best Friend is a Therapist. So search that out as well. So without further ado, let's meet Nas and Sara. All right. Welcome to the show, Naz and Sara. Hey, hey, Chris. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's, Excited. Uh, yeah. So, okay. We're, today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, telehealth and the quality of care involved in that and kind of our own personal experiences of that. Um, uh, but before we could before we get started, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about uh, with our audience about yourselves. Sure. Yeah. I can probably speak for both Sara and I. Um, we are two doctoral students here in Southern California, um, practicing in the marriage and family therapy field. We both kind of primarily work with um, school districts right now. So doing therapy on campus with the K through 12 students. Um, but we have had various other types of clients in nonprofit recovery. Um, Sara worked for a refugee clinic. Um, we are also two women of color, so um, that's kind of how we connected and bonded. The first time we met, we found out we were Muslim, um, and we had all these crazy things in common, um, being American Muslims. Um, so our friendship has really grown out of being. Um, unique in that sphere, but also having this therapeutic and an essence to want to help others. Great. Okay. All right. And you're uh, you're both in school settings, and I know um, most uh, mental health service providers have had to make the transition to telehealth, especially education, right? And uh, since since COVID nineteen, since the quarantine and all that. So, what has the transition been for the both of you, and what have been your biggest challenges as clinicians? I would say just in a general sense, one of the biggest struggles for us, and we, Naz and I have talked a lot about this um, as friends and colleagues, but one of the biggest struggles that we both experienced is just having your home now turned into your work environment. Mm-hmm. And so to have that kind of bleed into one another has been really challenging because usually, like, especially like I remember my master's, we were always taught like leave work at work, go home, decompress, right? And now all of a sudden your work and your home life are the same setting. And so it's been a lot harder to kind of separate work from home and all the conversations that you're having with clients or things that you are also experiencing in your own life right now with COVID-19. And, you know, so everything seems to be really bleeding together. Um, And it doesn't help that we don't have a workspace to go to and then leave at the end of the day, right? That that just in and of itself has been really challenging. Um, Naz and I have talked a lot about how, you know, metaphorically, there's this hat that we wear as therapists. 
And when we're in work mode, we've got this therapist hat on and we're, you know, we're, we've got that therapeutic presence. And now when you're sitting in your bedroom doing therapy, because it's the only confidential space in your house, because you've got roommates, you've got family members, and you're kind of trapped in your bedroom doing therapy, is it harder to keep that therapy hat on um, when you're sitting and talking to clients about their experiences? For me, it has been. It has been really challenging to keep that therapy hat on. And then to be able to take that therapy hat off, especially since we've been able to be more flexible when when we for when we can do our sessions with clients and so that sometimes means I'll do a couple sessions in the morning and then I'll eat lunch and then you know watch a tv show and then all of a sudden I'm back in a session and so it's been harder for me to be like wait hat back on hat off hat back on (laughs) right so that's been another challenge um and I think just just also a really big point to that Naz and I have talked about has been motivation and not really always feeling motivated to work. I mean, it's it, this is a hard time for anybody to be still wanting to work full time. And right now, because we're considered first responders during this pandemic, we we have to be in work mode. And so that comes with a lot of guilt of we're therapists. So we've got this innate nature to want to help people. But at the same time, we're like, we don't want to work. <laughs> you know, there's this lack of motivation. And then guilt sets in because it's like, we should be doing more. We should be helping more. We should be more motivated. We, you know, we chose this field. It's our duty, our responsibility to be there for our clients. And when we're feeling a sense of, I don't want to, I want to pull back. I want to, you know, lay in bed all day like everyone else is right now that, you know, that guilt sets in. I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm a therapist. I should have it together. Right. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'm going to ask you a little bit later about how you've been kind of managing that or what the solutions to that are, might be in your experience. But before we get there, um, what are your thoughts about video and phone sessions? I've been having a lot of conversations about this, too, and it's been surprising that um, a lot of people are not liking the video and leaning towards the phone sessions. What do you, what do you, both of you think? Yeah. So, and, and we've talked about this almost every day, um, especially because we're doing therapy with children. Um, and so there's an, another layer of complexity added yeah, sure. to video yeah. <laughs> um, and phone sessions. Right. Um, but in general, right. We understand that, that video and phone sessions, distance therapy has provided a lot of accessibility for clients who can't get to the office, who can't, come at a certain nine to five hour. So like Sarah said, we're doing early sessions, late sessions, sessions during lunch, that's in eating my salad, right? Um, and so accessibility is there and that's a huge pro to, to using phone or video. Um, I personally have struggled with videoing my sessions because um, now there's this layer of, okay, I have to present myself in my home environment that's a little messy you know you can see my my personal gym slash office behind me and i'm doing therapy and we're talking about something really intimate in this person's life and how you know how i'm i'm now focusing on myself rather than the client which is one aspect to my struggle um but then the other aspect is how do i how do i build that therapeutic presence through the video um, and how can I, cause you no longer have that sense of the essence really of, of that person in the room with you and you're having to rely on this video conferencing, um, and to be able to present that is really difficult. Um, and so one thing that, that we actually learned in our bio basis class this past semester was how to navigate 
your video and bring tone, bring movement, bring, um, you know, just that energy through the video. And, and that really helped me and and building my confidence to be able to say, Hey, I'm actually capable to do a video session. Um, although phone is definitely a little bit more uh, comfortable because you don't have to worry about seeing somebody face to face and, um, you can maybe navigate your conversation a little differently. Uh, but that's just been my experience. I don't know if Sarah, maybe you've had a different one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with when you're on video, there's this added pressure of, you know, that you're being watched. And it's it's a different feeling than when you're just sitting face to face with somebody. Um, and for me, because I'm an experiential therapist, that's my modality, It I am my own intervention a lot of times in session and just the, that therapeutic presence and being able to lean in when a client becomes emotional and being just that physical presence and not having that anymore when you're doing phone or video sessions has been really difficult for me. And so I feel kind of like, like I, I, I've lost my, my ability to really be the therapist that I know that I'm, that I'm able to be for clients. Um, Cause I'm not someone who's, who likes to sit and just go through interventions with clients like that therapeutic presence is really what I feed off of as a therapist. Um, and so that, I think being on video, whether it's video or phone, there, you you lose a lot of that. Um, and I, I honestly, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know if if Naz has the same experience, but I feel exhausted doing video session, like sitting and like having to be, because again, you're being watched, right? Like you have to be so careful with everything, and then it's like you're half dressed, so that's like an awkward <laughs> feeling. You know, you're like. <laughs> got a nice shirt on, but you're like in your sweatpants or your leggings or, you know, so it's just, I don't know. It's, it's kind of been an exhausting process for sure. And I feel like when I'm, when I'm on the phone, there's pros and that I don't, you know, I don't have to be watched, but then I also feel like it's easier for me to get lost in the conversation um, or, or more distracted, I guess. Um, and you're working extra hard because now you just have a voice to voice. You don't have the facial expressions. You don't have the, you know, the comfort of someone leaning in when you, like I said, when you become emotional and being able to be that therapeutic presence, you're having to work twice as hard um, in validating and saying the right thing. And there's this, you know, that that's another thing is like this pressure of, am I saying the right thing? Because all they have is my voice right now. Do the two of you think, do you think this is going to be part of our field now moving forward? Do you think, you know, some form of video or phone session is going to be always part of it now that we've made this transition? Yeah, I've had, I've had clients who've already um, asked, you know, even if we go back to in-person, can I continue to do Zoom? Um, and and I wanted to validate that and say yes. But then the other part of me, the human part of me is like, I, I need to be in person with you because I really want to give you the quality that you deserve. Um, and, for, and in my experience, that quality has been hindered in some way through distance therapy. I'm almost curious when you ask that question, as I'm listening to Naz's response, I'm almost thinking, I wonder if telehealth, because telehealth was a thing before COVID-19. Sure, sure, yeah. I wonder if, if telehealth would feel different if it wasn't forced. It's hmm. a great yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you've shared uh, a lot about kind of some of the challenges you've faced. And I'm wondering um, what have been like some of the things that have sustained you over this time to provide therapy? Yeah, I think one has been having people to lean on, other therapists, other supports, um, being able to talk through this experience that seems to be 
uh, common <laughs> across the field. That's been huge, especially having somebody like Sarah, who I talk to on a daily basis as a friend, but also as a colleague. Um, being able to find resources to, you know, to acknowledge, hey, I'm not equipped sometimes and let me, let me see how other people are handling it. Let me see what works for them. Um, that, that's really been where I've, I've been able to continue progressing and, and motivating myself and having other people motivate me. Yeah, kind of on that same thread, I think it's been helpful. You know, we're still students and so we have access to our faculty and they've been really supportive and really validating. And I think for me, that's been a really big um, platform for me to get support and just talking to people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have um, and them being able to validate that they too are feeling a lot of these things right now. So it's not that I'm inadequate or I'm just, you know, I'm not good enough yet. It's that everyone is kind of experiencing this, even the people that I look up to as my faculty and as my mentors. Um, so that's been a huge platform for support for me, for sure. Great. All right. Um, I'm sure or reasonably sure that some of your clients are showing up as mirrors, you know, struggling with the same anxieties and fears that you might also be struggling with. And and I'm wondering how, how this is this experience has been for you and what have been some of the skills or wisdom that you've drawn upon um, in this time? Yeah, so definitely people feel like mirrors right now. There's a lot, like I keep saying, there's this constant like feeling of everything is bleeding together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's challenging is that, you know, we're therapists, but we're human first. And so when our clients are talking to us about all their stressors, their anxieties, their fears, this feeling of isolation, depression, all I want to do in session is saying, is say like, ditto, same. I, I too, (laughs) me too, (laughs) you know, join the club. We're all feeling it. And then so that to be carrying all of us, the same emotional experiences, our clients that our clients are has been really challenging. And I think even when, you know, when you're a master's student, you're taught, okay, when you're working with couples, there might be things that come up for you and counter-transference and transference. And I'm like, great, you know, we work on setting boundaries. Well, nobody ever prepared you for, for setting boundaries and working through counter-transference and transference during a pandemic when you two are like a human in the pandemic. Um, so that's been really challenging for sure. Yeah. I, and I, and I just, yeah, repeat everything you just said, because I, and I think there's this other layer that, you know, Chris, you've been a seasoned therapist for, for some time now, but Sarah and I are really fresh in our professional development. And so we're feeling kind of like chickens with our head cut off sometimes. Right. And we're just trying to navigate to provide the best service for our clients. And, and, and in doing that, we're struggling. Um, so we're, it's, it's just been a really tough learning curve um, and one that no one could have prepared us for. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just feeling really unprepared um, and, and having, like you said, Chris, that mirror mm-hmm. and, and seeing all of your own struggles through your clients. And then I, I think the other, the other piece is that, you know, we're taught to, and I, I think this depends on who, who you had as a supervisor, but you're, we have conversations about self-disclosure and whether self-disclosure is appropriate as therapist to clients. And is it okay right now to self-disclose when a client says, I'm scared for what the future has in store. I'm scared that this might last a year. Is it okay to say, I'm scared too? 
or as therapists, are we supposed to maintain, you know, this professional boundary of I'm not going to self-disclose to my clients. Mm -hmm. That's been really hard because I want to say same me too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And uh, as a supervisor, not your supervisor, although I used to supervise Naz, but um, (laughs) uh, yeah, I always err on the side of self-disclosure, especially in difficult times like this, um, just with a, with a attention to not centering myself in any conversation. Right. And so, uh, but you got to follow whatever your own supervisor says, but I'm always of, uh, absolutely self-disclose. Uh, I kind of want to blow up, blow up that myth a little bit. Um, um, and that, um, just always being, you know, aware of and attending to that. I am not centering myself in any, in, in these conversations, but, but I am disclosing. So that's my two cents, but, um, okay. So, for our listeners, um, what do you think have been the main takeaways from your experiences so far? Definitely flexibility, adaptability, being able to think on your toes, be fresh, um, and, you know, learn new, obviously learning technology is a whole another piece to something that we as therapists have never had to do is have technology in the room and use it as the platform for which we're providing the service. Um, so just that first two weeks of how do I use Zoom? How do, you know, how does this work? <laughs> Being able to learn. Um, I think also recognizing that the clients that we're serving are so resilient. Um, and I don't, I, and I'm speaking specifically because I'm working with teenagers. Um, and interestingly, there seems to be this theme that they're not going to their classes online, but they're coming to therapy. Um, which speaks to something, I think, speaks to either the, the relationship that I've been able to uh, hold with them or even their ability to say, hey, the school stuff doesn't matter right now and, and I need support as a human and you're somebody in my life who's going to support me. Um, and, and knowing that they want to support their parents, right? So, so I think these teenagers, these kids are so much more resilient than, than the world is giving them credit for right now. Great. Yeah. Tara? I think my biggest takeaway, and I, I've been saying this more recently to Naz as we are trying to move forward with some passion projects, is that I'm I'm learning truly what it means to be kind to myself. Um, and I am doing enough. Like telling myself every day, even if I only did two phone sessions, that I'm doing enough. And it's like Naz said, when you see your students saying, I can't do my homework. I'm not showing up to class, but they're sitting there for 45 minutes on the phone with you through a session that Mm -hmm. speaks to, I I'm doing enough. I'm doing something to help. Even if that day I woke up and I didn't have any motivation, I did something. Um, and that was good enough. I think that for me has been my biggest takeaway. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Final question. (laughs) Uh, I'm always interested in this and, uh, I know you have a podcast coming, the two of you. So this is your time to plug that please. But, (laughs) but also, um, what ideas or books or articles are capturing your attention these days? Um, this isn't necessarily a book. Um, although, you know, maybe as an academic student, I should be reading more books, but, um, (laughs) I, for me, it's been just tuning into, to various different platforms. So one that I've, I've done a lot on, I think since COVID started is these different webinars through double AMFT that they've put out for free. Um, and those have been really helpful. We actually, the, the director of our doctoral program, she was 
one of us, one of the speakers on a webinar and she did a series um, called the ethics of care and cultural competency. Um, their family therapists as first responders. And it was really helpful because you talked about our duty to, to care for others, but also care for ourselves and what that looks like. Um, and so I think just tuning into different webinars that talk about telehealth that, you know, are outwardly speaking about therapist experiences right now has been a really helpful resource to me over, I think, grabbing, grabbing a book, um, at least for me personally, that that's been the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I recently, because you kind of threw, threw us out there to plug our podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're both developing this podcast together and we're, and really it's, it's part of our professional um, identity that we're building. Um, and in this beginning stage process, I've found myself and we both found ourselves extremely overwhelmed with um, leaving a footprint and making sure the footprint is how we want it to look. It's deep. It impacts people. We want it to be meaningful. And in that experience, I've been facing a lot of like high functioning anxiety. Um, and so and it helps me, right? It helps me meet my deadlines. It helps me um, have that perfectionist idea and really get across what I'm trying to say, how I want things to go. But it also hinders me. Um, and so I came across this author, this uh, counselor, and I think she's also a, like a professional uh, therapeutic co- coach. Um, her name is Nancy J. Smith. And she has a book. Um, the book is called The happier approach. Um, and, and I haven't read the book, but I've listened to her podcasts. Um, and she really goes through this, uh, she calls it her inner monger, right? This inner dialogue, these voices that come in and really negate, uh, her ability, her, her drive. Um, and, and she talks about monger and, and I connected so much to that because there's all these things that I'm doing professionally that I'm, I'm building my footprint. I'm working with Sarah. We're getting somewhere. We're moving. And then the monger comes and tells me, ah, hold on. You didn't do that. Right. Oh, no, you got to slow down here. Oh, you're not good enough. Your voice won't matter. Um, and so I've, I've connected a lot to her work because being able to put, and that's a narrative in me, but being able to put a name to this problem and then now address it and process it as, okay, it's external from me. The monger is telling me I'm not good enough, but all of these other things that I'm doing in my life and and Sarah touched on this being kinder to yourself, all of these other things I'm doing in my life kind of prove otherwise. Um, So that's one piece of work that I've really been connected to recently. Okay. So that's great. Um, what's the title of the podcast so people can find it? Yeah. And when, so do, you, when do you plan to launch it? We So the title of our podcast is called My Best Friend is a Therapist. And um, we are hoping to launch somewhere between mid-June. Um, we're definitely, we're, we've been in the legwork for some time now, um, but hopefully we're getting out there. We have an Instagram account. Um, so please follow. <laughs> Same one, My Best Friend's a Therapist. My Best okay, Friend's a Therapist. Is. There uh, it is. Listeners, that's where you can find them, My Best Friend's a Therapist on Instagram with a soon-to-be-launched podcast. Thank you both for coming on and sharing your experience in COVID-19 with us, trying to do therapy. Uh, I very much appreciate it, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of wisdom. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Chris.
All right, that's our show, and I hope you found that helpful and uh, resonating maybe with your own experience. Um, uh, be sure to check out their podcast, My Best Friend is a Therapist, and also go, come find us, The Radical Therapist, on social media. We are on Facebook, The Radical Therapist on Facebook, The, Rad the Radical Therapist on Instagram, The Rad Therapist on Twitter, and uh, I think that's all the things. I'm on TikTok, but I have not made a video yet, but I've been checking that out, so... I'm trying to figure out how I might play around with that. But um, I did get to do a dance with my little niece uh, recently. But you are not going to see that. But it was cool. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah. So please spread the word. Share this, share this episode with others you think might be helpful. Tag me in it. That would be great. And so I can share it on our social media. You sharing, you sharing us on our social media. And, uh, yeah, that would be helpful. So, anyway, uh, I'm Dr. Chris Hoff. This has been The Radical Therapist. And, as always, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.